you would, please turn to 1 John. Back of your Bibles, 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. For His name's sake. Will you do me a favor? Close your eyes, please. Some of you are still wondering whether you are saved in Jesus. Listen closely this morning. This is the good news for the salvation of any sinner who wants Him. For those of you who are in Jesus, here's the question. When you sin, which you do week in and week out, sometimes you sin grievously. How long does it take you to approach the throne of grace, to find mercy, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the joy of Jesus. And what do you base it upon? Do you feel as if you need to wallow for days because of how bad you were? And somehow that will bring you the right to be forgiven? Or do you immediately decide I'm going to glorify the Lord Jesus the way He has called me to and be filled with the Spirit and find forgiveness and worship anew and go on that day overflowing? I appeal to you in the name of Jesus that because of this morning you go on doing the latter you glorify His name. And here's your help in doing it. Listen very carefully over the next 50 minutes to the unfolding of this verse. Father, I do pray that You do this in us and who believe. Oh, we're so desperate to, to be filled with Your Spirit and the joy of Jesus in overcoming sin and self-pity to lay down our lives on behalf of others and say no to our flesh. So would You, through this verse, do deep work in each of us to the glory of Your holy name in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, if you look down at your text there, you kind of see how the translators set it apart in the way that they put it in verses, so to speak. We saw that verses 12 to 14 was John's way of inserting a parenthesis in order that the assurance of Christians, their assurance of their salvation would go really deep. And not just as an end, I mean, but as a means to the end of what He's doing in this book and what He's saying to us through this book. That our assurance goes deep for the battle of the Christian life against our sin, the flesh, Satan, unbelief, disobedience, etc. And it's so crucial to get what he's doing here. Because listen to what he's going to say next. Verse 15. And he means it. And he means it for everybody who will be saved. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. 
See, he knows where he's, he's been and he knows where he's going and he wants the roots to go deep. And so what I want to do then this morning, stay here. I want to go back to the beginning of this parenthesis and concentrate on one sentence. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Don't miss it. For His name's sake. That's why. That's why any is forgiven. For His name's sake. Diata anama autu. There it is. In the Greek. For His name's sake. Right there. Our stability. Our comfort. Our strength in the daily Christian life. It does not get any more solid than that one sentence. Notice it again. Please look at it. It does not say your sins are forgiven because Jesus died for you. It's not what it says. That's true. Absolutely true. All over Scripture. But that's not what this verse says. That's not the point of this verse. Here, our forgiveness is not standing upon that rock of Jesus' death for us. That's not how this verse is structured. Here, our forgiveness of sins is pointing to Jesus' name. Pointing to the name and the renown of God. And there's a difference. And I want you to see that difference this morning. In our forgiveness, ongoingly, His name is at stake. One commentator, Brooke, summarizes it this way. The origin of the phrase, for His name's sake, the origin of the phrase is to be found in the Old Testament doctrine that God continued His kindness to Israel in spite of their rebelliousness. For His name's sake. End quote. And I fully agree with him that that's exactly what John is pointing to. See, the name, the name of Jesus or Yahweh, God's name manifested to us in the flesh through Jesus Christ, that name means all that that person represents. Some people's names have been muddied Deservedly so. They have a bad name. We want to keep our name. We have a court system that when someone lies about us publicly, it's called slander if you're a public, or not a public figure actually. And it's so painful, because you can't get it back, because your name has been dragged through the mud. For His name's sake. That's what this is driving at. For the reputation of God's name. That's what's at stake. And forgiving you. For His name's sake doesn't mean something like the TV show, Once Upon a Time, we have a, we have a, a new way to bring the magic back. Oh, and it's an incantation. Say the name. 
Jesus, and then magic comes. It's not a magic name that wipes away sin. That's not His point. His point is, it refers to God's reputation manifested in His Son, Jesus Christ. His name is at stake in forgiving everyone who is chosen. Even of that sin. That's what he's driving at. You know, why? It's a good question. Why is the name, or, or can we say it this way, the essence of all who God is represented by His name, His glory, why is His name or His glory through Jesus Christ at stake in forgiving us sinners? who have come to Jesus, why in the world would God be so concerned about His name? About His praise? About His renown? His glory? Okay, here's, this is honest truth. We all have our own stories. Here's a little bit of my story. We all have favorite verses usually if we've been a Christian for enough weeks, months, and years. And I promise from the bottom of my heart I had an, one of the most unfavorite verses for years as a Christian because it made no sense to me. And I hate it when clarity isn't there. It bugged me. And that verse was our verse this morning. I would read it and I had no category for understanding it especially with a lot of bad theology that was radically man-centered. For He forgives our sins for His name's sake. And I would, I promise, I would just... Is that a correct translation before I could read it in the original? I mean, just, come on. When I would hear Christians from different traditions pray and end their prayer, not in Jesus' name, but for Jesus' sake, it really bugged me. What does His sake have to do with me being forgiven? It's for my sake. I'm desperate for the one who made me to forgive and to wipe away, cleanse me from my sin that will keep me away from an eternity of happy tomorrows. I need that. I want that because the goal is getting God forever without His wrath, but His goodness. It is for my sake. And that's why every born-again person is a person who is confessing their sins. Not as an end, as a means to the end of constant fellowship and reconciliation with God who is the prize. The prize in mercy. The prize in forgiveness. That's why we do it. That's why at times when I have sinned against my wife and I offend her and there's distance Every married couple said, uh huh. For days. I want to be forgiven, but not just as an end, because there's a distance, and I want her heart to turn back to me when I recognize my wrong, and I say, Honey, please forgive me. I am sorry I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Yes. And forgiveness isn't the end. It's the means to the end of the intimacy that I want back with my wife. And that is us believers. Okay, so, isn't therefore forgiveness for my sake? Absolutely. Yes, it certainly is. But that is not what John is saying here. He is saying there is something deeper than that. 
Isn't this house really standing in earthquake zone California with that pretty white and house and green trim? Yes! But it's only standing because there's something you don't normally see that's down underneath it. A foundation. That's what John is saying here. And this is the verse that never made sense to me for 12 years of my Christianity until in God's sovereign providence through my professor Daniel Fuller and then leading me to Jonathan Edwards and reading his great book, The End for Which God Created the World. And then through one of his other formal students way before me, John Piper, have really started to put the pieces together for me that can be summed up as God does everything for His glory, for His name's sake. And that truth is the greatest news for sinners like It is the greatest comfort in the world. Because as a professing Christian, our feelings, they go towards God, towards ourselves, towards who are we, where are we at. Our penitent behaviors, our goodness, our turning over a new leaf. None of that is the bottom line reason for our forgiveness. But His glory. May I say it? His name upheld is the reason that any of us are forgiven. And therefore, and what John is saying to the church That is where you are to ongoingly rest your forgiveness in the glory and the extension the reputation of God's name manifested through Jesus Christ. And that truth, this is why I I started strangely this morning. Close your eyes. I really wanted to go deep. That truth is one of the most powerful and essential weapons in the Christian life against your guilty feelings. I write to you, John says six times. I'm writing it to you because I want you to hear it. I want you to know it. And I want you to live this truth. Your sins are forgiven. Not because of you, but for His reputation's sake. His name's sake. So let's pull back and see if we can see this. Because the Old Testament, as it is for all the New Testament, but particularly here, the Old Testament is the backdrop for the words that John uses to us here for His name's sake. So I want you to turn, please turn, if you have a Bible, to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We just want to slow down and look at the Old Testament a little bit and see if we can feel this. And please pray, keep my mind alert. Slow down and see the truth that is throughout the Bible, that God's delight is in exalting His name and His glory always. When you see that throughout the Old Testament, then you will see more clearly that the cross, which the name of Jesus represents, is God's glory being exalted in saving and forgiving You there? Verse 22. Samuel says to the people, For the Lord will not forsake His people. Okay, stop. That's really good news. 
And the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. That's why. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. That for His great name's sake. Of course, Samuel is written in Hebrew originally, but 200 years before John wrote this, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. We call it the Septuagint. It's actually the main Bible of the early church and the apostles. And John's wording here in chapter 2, verse 12, is exactly the same as 1 Samuel. For His name's sake. Dia ta anama autu. Exactly the same word order. It just, in Samuel, he adds the word tamega, meaning great name, at the end. But the context here of 1 Samuel, and why he said this to Israel, to the people as a whole, that is the biggest clue to what the Apostle John really means. So if you remember the context, if you go back to chapter 8, this is when Israel as a whole say, Samuel, tell Yahweh, we want a king like all the other nations. He says, no, don't ask that. God is your ruler. He is your king. No, we want a king. And Samuel goes to the Lord. Lord, I can't believe these people and how they're just... Re Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me from reigning over them. Samuel, Samuel goes back and he pleads with them, don't do this horrible, sinful thing in asking for a king. And they say, no, but we want a king. And God says, I'll give him a king. That's the context coming now into chapter 12, verse 22. But I want to go back first to verse 17 that leads up to verse 22 and listen to the word of the Lord. Samuel speaks to them. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that He may send thunder and rain. Okay, you don't want rain during harvest time. That's a bad thing. That's a curse. Okay. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Okay, you got the context? They're like you. Unworthy. Sinners. Verse 20, And Samuel said to the people, This is amazing. Their sin in denying the God of the universe. And he said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yes. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Okay, good. It's good you turn back now. Oh, nothing swept under the rug. You sinned grievously. Here's the message. Do not fear. And let's stop before we get to our 
Next verse. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel pictured. Even though you, Israel, have sinned greatly and you have shunned the Lord, you have sinned in asking for yourself a king, even though there's no one doing that sin now, or its painful consequences, which are still yet to come in the future. Here's the Gospel. Even though, yes, nevertheless, there is a future. There is a hope. The way that Samuel says it is. Do not be afraid. Don't fear. Now here's the question. Why? Based on what? What foundation are you laying for us, Samuel? That we are not to fear. Verse 22. Which is the good news. The euangelion. The gospel. For, there it is. Here's the reason. Because of this great truth. The Lord will not forsake His people. That's why. Why will He not do that? Read on. For, or because, for the sake of, His great name. For His great name's sake. That's why He will not forsake His people. Are you looking at the verse? Do you see it yet? So what is the basis of Samuel saying, I know you've sinned. And I even call judgment down on you. The rain has fallen during harvest time to wipe out your crops. But... You've come back, repented. Okay, don't fear. Don't be afraid. What does he base it on? First of all, he bases it on the promise that the Lord will not utterly here forsake you. He will not cast Israel away in spite of their sin. That's the point. That's why you are not to fear. Because He will not. Let me bring it up now to the New Testament for a moment. He will not lose you. He he will not cast away His chosen people, Israel. And He will not cast away new Israel. He will not cast away Jew and Gentile who are chosen in His Son. Okay, but, that's the reason to not fear, but that's not the deepest reason. It's not the deepest foundation that He gives here for fearlessness. So the question is, why will God not forsake His people in this verse? The deepest reason is given in the phrase, for His great name's sake. That's why. The rock bottom foundation of Israel's forgiveness and not being cast away, or of our forgiveness, of our fearlessness, of our joy in Jesus going through this life in Christian battle. Our rock bottom foundation is the commitment that God has always to His own great name. Not yours. Not your turning over a new leaf. Not your good feelings because your hormonal system changed a little bit in the last two weeks but for His great name's sake. 
God is first and foremost always committed to act for His own name's sake. And that is the reason He is committed to save. That is the reason He is committed to forgive us chosen people in Christ. Now, don't leave, don't leave 1 Samuel here for a second. According to Samuel, why is it that God's commitment to His great name, why is that commitment to Himself and to His name producing for Israel, God's not going to reject you. Well, how does that work? If you're so committed to your name and they've sinned against it, how, how is that not our doom? How does your commitment to your great name produce you not cutting us off? It's the same question about your own life. What is it about God's commitment to His great name that assures every believer's forgiveness of sins? Look at the last part of verse 22, 1 Samuel 12. Let's read the whole verse again and get the flow. Don't be afraid, for the Lord will not forsake His people. For His great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. That's why. Let's read that backwards and see if you can get the logic. Because, Israel, God chose you because he was pleased. He had a purpose. He's up to something. So it pleased him to make you a people for himself. Therefore what? Therefore the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake. Follow it. Do you see it yet? He's saying it was God's delight, Israel, to unite you to Himself in such a way that His name, His reputation is at stake in your destiny. That's what He's saying. In other words, Israel, believer, it was God's joy to choose you. It was His joy to possess you in such a way that what happens to you reflects upon His great name. That's why He says, for His great name's sake. So what does that mean? That God is pleased to make Israel a people for his namesake for himself. Or, or in other words, what does it mean to forgive us for his namesake? It means that the name of God, which represents God's glory, his perfections, his character, it means for God to make his glory and his reputation known. That's what he's about. And that's our hope. See, I'm just going to. If you, if you can flip fast through a Bible, good. See, a lot of times as a preacher, I think, I can make this thing shorter if I just don't read these verses. But I want you to see how what I have said so far, what First Samuel's saying and what our text in First John is saying is so biblical. It's not peripheral. So first of all, in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11, we read, For as the waist cloth clings to the loins of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord. 
Now listen to him. Why? So that they might be for me a people. A name. A praise. And a glory. So, according to this, why was Israel chosen? They were chosen in order to be a name. A praise and a glory to God. Which shows that His name means His praise, His glory, His reputation. Now, David, he teaches the same thing. God dealt with Israel in such a way as to make a name for Himself. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 23, What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? whom God went to redeem to be His people, hear it, making Himself a name. That's why He chose Israel. To make Himself a reputation. A name. And doing for them great and terrible things by driving out before the people a nation and its gods. So Jeremiah, David, we saw in Samuel, they're all saying God chose and acted on behalf of Israel in order to make for Himself a name. And then you go to the great exodus under Moses, and in chapter 19, I mean chapter 9 of Exodus, God makes it clear I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart because I'm not pleased with only three plagues. I'm going to keep him alive and I'm going to let him continually harden his heart so that I can do what I want to do. I want to get all ten plagues out. Why? Because he's out to make for himself a name. That is so central in the New Testament that Paul quotes Exodus Chapter 9, in Romans chapter 9, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Oh, about Pharaoh, but the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this reason I have raised you up. Probably mean I've let you live. In order to show my power. Why do I want to do that? so that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. So the point of the Exodus was for God to make a worldwide name for Himself. And then later on, hundreds of years later, the prophet Isaiah, looking back on this Exodus out of Egypt, of God's people, he clearly says that God delivered His people in order to make for Himself a name. This is how Isaiah says it in chapter 63, verses 12 to 14. God caused His glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses. He divided the waters before them to make for Himself an everlasting name. So, You led your people, O Yahweh, in order to make for yourself a glorious name. So in all of this, his point is God had his his gun aimed at this goal to make for himself. An everlasting name. Psalm 106, verse 7 and 8, we read, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider Thy wonderful works. They did not remember the abundance of Your steadfast love, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. And here comes one of the most precious words to your soul. Yet... Or nevertheless, He saved them for His name's sake. 
so that he might make known his mighty power. So, do you see that God's first love is his name, his glory? Not your goodness. Not how impressive I am. And if you really see this, you will jump up and down. Because this is our hope. It is because His name and His reputation are always at stake first and foremost that there is hope not only for sinful Israel, but for sinful believers. As John says, I want you to know it. That's why I write it. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. That truth, it doesn't get more practical in the real Christian life. How do you pray? Let me give you an example for a moment. This is how, this is how Joshua prays in Joshua 7, 8-9. Listen to him. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs? Okay, that's not a good thing. We're running away from the enemy. They turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, will, they will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Okay, his prayer's not done yet. He's got one more line. God, and what will you do for your great name if you let this happen? Do you have a category to pray like that? God, I am so sinful. I blew it. I see it. I'm going to ask forgiveness from that person and from you right now. But God, I'm asking it. Glorify your name in forgiving me. Can you pray that way? Can you pray really? 1 John 1 9 from the letter that we're working through? It's such a popular verse. Sometimes I wonder if we really understand what it says. If we are confessing our sins, think about the next line. God is faithful and just. Really? You want justice for your sin? Yeah, if you understand what he's saying, you kind of do. He's faithful and He's just to forgive us, believers, our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In your daily life, do you cry out for more power? You cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in you? As you sit before your Bible and your mind just wanders and you're bored with it, do you cry out to God, give me light, awaken my mind and my heart. It's so dull right now. God, I want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit here, here, and there. Please work it. You cry out, say, please, God, do this for Your name's sake. Glorify Your name. Exalt Your name now in me today. Do you pray God will awaken people in the South Bay area? Awaken so many professing believers that can't handle a sermon longer than 23 minutes and could never handle an exposition of Scripture. Awaken them, O oh Lord, so that they could see and believe. Oh, do it, God, for your name's 
Glorify Jesus in doing this. It is this great reality that God is out for His name that is the foundation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the great spring of mercy. And it is the great motive for every believer to pray that God wants to glorify His name. Do this. Do that. For your name's sake. The forgiveness of our sins, of every Christian, it flows from this great truth. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. The great And I I don't use the word lightly here. The great passion that God has for His glory, summed up in His name, that is the essence of God's eagerness to forgive you. It's the essence of His yearning to absolve you daily to work in to draw you to Himself. There's no begrudging in God when His name is at stake. It is His name that is His infinite energy to say to you after you say, Jesus is my only hope. Forgive me. God says, all my name's at stake. Yes! Why? Why is this? It's just really simple. He sent His Son. God, the eternal Son, became a human being and was a substitute. Died and rose. And then He sent the apostles and on down through the generations to go preach this Gospel. And that Gospel goes with a promise. If you will believe it, if you'll believe this news I'm telling you, and you'll come to Him, you will be forever washed clean of all sin. That is a promise. Therefore, when any person obeys that directive, coming to Him, confessing their sin, and banking everything on Jesus, God's got a promise out there. And therefore, His reputation, His name, is at stake. May I say it? Any human being who ever from the heart by the Spirit comes to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, woe be to God if He does not forgive that person their sin. For Jesus' sake. Just look at the model for a moment. I'll give you a couple. The model. Let's get some models. How do I pray? How do I pray? Well, here's David. Psalm 25:11. Listen to how he prays. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. For it is great. Here. Pardon my guilt, my sin. It's real. I'm not hiding it. Based on what, David? Not me. I'm doomed if I rested on me. For your name's sake, David says. Psalm 79 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of Your name. It goes on. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. Jeremiah 14, 7. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, move 
for your name's sake. See, listening closely to these prayers, and what John is saying is meant to have a deep effect on how we pray. When you're alone in a dark cloud of gloominess is overshadowing you for days or weeks, depression gets deeper. Your feelings of, of guilt for your sin starting to crawl throughout your body and your soul. Cry out. And make your case. They have a good case. And you don't want it to be for your name's sake. And you don't want to base it on your performance. But make your case before the throne of grace. Oh God, extend to me forgiveness. Extend to me sanctification. Extend to me the filling of the Spirit to walk away from this sin for your name's sake. Or just pray like Jesus said. Start it off. Father, hallow your name. Work in me the ability to forgive that person so I can be forgiven so that your name will be hallowed, extended. See, there is a deep, deep-seated strength that enters one's life when they learn that praying for forgiveness, it should be based not only on God's mercy. Oh, it's mercy. We get it. Absolutely. But it's not only based on God's mercy. You base it on God's justice and appeal to it. The justice that He fulfilled in punishing your sin in Jesus. You're basing it on God's purpose to send His Son to live in perfect sinlessness which you couldn't and He did it on your behalf. There is strength when you can pray, I'm guilty, Father. And I want justice. Guilty. Yes. Here it is. I'll lay it out. You already know it. And I want the justice of the cross where the glory of Your name and holiness is upheld and expanded. This is exactly the Gospel. This is what Paul lays out. Turn there for one last time. Here now. Romans chapter 3. Paul lays out here in Romans 3 verses 25 to 26 that the death of Jesus demonstrated the righteousness of God in passing over sins that came before that. Because He appeared to be utterly unrighteous in doing so. Paul is saying Jesus' death vindicated God's justice as God goes about forgiving the sins of sinners, as He goes about justifying, making them right with Himself in the law, He justifies the ungodly, those who embrace His Son, Jesus. Jesus was vindicating the name of God in doing that. Start with verse 23. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That's where God poured out His punishment upon us sinners in Jesus. 
And this is to be received by faith. Now listen to what he says. This was to show God's righteousness. Why did he have to do that? Because in his divine patience or forbearance over centuries and centuries, he had passed over former sins. The cross of Jesus was to show His righteousness at the present time so that it may be clear that God is just. And at the same time, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is magnificently wonderful. He says... Christ died once for all in order to clear the name. To clear the reputation of God in what looked like a terrible miscarriage of justice. David commits adultery with a man's wife. Gets her pregnant. Fears. And because he's so darn righteous, David can't hide his sin. He won't sleep with his wife. And he has him murdered. And God sends Nathan, the prophet, to David and says, The Lord has put away your sin. And that is an act of utter injustice and unrighteousness. And God's name would be soiled if it weren't for Jesus, who was as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Justice and mercy was fulfilled in the cross of Jesus. The acquittal of sinners who will believe for Jesus' name's sake. God's justice was poured out against us on Jesus. His justice, His righteousness, therefore is at stake in forgiving repentant sinners who come to Him in Jesus' name. Do you pray that way? Do you pray the way that John says? If we are confessing our sins, He is faithful and He's just. Justice was done in the cross. He won't deny this justice to you. And He is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are to pray like David prayed for your name's sake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt because it is great. That prayer that David prayed, it's based on the theology that comes right out of this one sentence of our verse this morning. I'm writing... To you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. So as Christians, what we mean is, Father, forgive me. Forgive me because your holy name has been vindicated by the death of your Son, Jesus. And I'm banking all of my marbles for forgiveness. And for salvation, I'm banking them all on Him, not on me. Here's the application of this sermon. What you heard, apply it. Apply this foundational truth to your everyday intimate walk with God the Father and the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. Apply it to your daily battle against sin and the flesh and the enemy. For your sake, O Lord, forgive my sins. O Father, cause me today to overcome this besetting Temptation. Cause me to have victory here. 
Cause me to love Your Word and Your Bible and not be bored with it. Cause me to plan my life accordingly. Do it, do it, do it for Your name's sake. Overflow in me in self-sacrificial love for the sake of Jesus' name. We can go on and on and on and on. Apply it. The great foundation of forgiveness of God's work in us daily is His allegiance to Himself. It's to His glory and appeal to it all the time. To His great name. So, your forgiveness for your sins this coming Tuesday your access to the throne of grace with your Creator this coming Wednesday does not rest on your feelings. It doesn't rest on your good works. But it rests in Him and all that the name of Jesus Christ represents on your behalf. Beloved, I am writing to you because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. So as the music is playing and we lift our voices, go to the throne of grace. Let Him continue to work in you deeply that this truth will carry on in your life that you will desire more and more to glorify Him in His name for that's the foundation of your joy.